out now on Press Gang Records, Buffalo, New York's Wrong the Oppressor Cassette. Ellis Horse, The Project from the Minds of Rob Antonucci, and Ryan Hex Cannabis, available on all streaming platforms. War self-titled 7-inch, available in black and coke bottle clear. Pick these up at PressGangRecordsUS.LimitedRun.com Welcome to episode 75. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. Tonight's guest is going to be Tom Cavanaugh. Uh, as always, you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, rather. Facebook and Instagram, it's at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Twitter, it's at Podcast Hardcore. Uh, thanks again to everybody who's been supporting the podcast on Patreon. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of incentives coming real soon and probably some cool uh, announcements coming associated with the podcast soon, too. Uh, just keep your eyes open for that. Uh, yeah, so like I said, tonight's episode 75, uh, we're going to be talking with Tom Cavanaugh. I'm going to be learning uh, a good amount about Syracuse tonight because uh, I think a lot of the time uh, the bands that he was in and stuff was a couple years before I got into the scene. So it's going to be cool hearing about some of that stuff. Uh, so with all that being said, how's everything going for you tonight, Tom? Good, good. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. Um, everything's going awesome. Uh, pretty excited. Can't wait to give you some knowledge of Syracuse, although I don't want to say like I'm a total historian about the whole Syracuse scene in, in its entirety, but I can definitely shed a light of what I was a part of and what I've seen. So, Yeah, well, like I was saying to you and uh, in, in messages beforehand, I definitely have been more interested in getting more Syracuse people on here to kind of document like the history of Syracuse. And I've talked to a few other people about uh, doing pre, uh, future interviews too, so that should be cool. So I'm sure we'll get like little nuggets here and there, and that'll be good to sure. piece it all together, you know, so... Um, but I guess before we jump into like hardcore and, and bands and stuff, uh, maybe tell a little bit about like your upbringing and, and like growing up in the Syracuse, I'm guessing, or? No, well, actually I was born in Alabama. Uh, my father was in the military, so I happened to be there when I was born and uh, we traveled quite a bit. My, my father would get transferred quite a bit and mainly East Coast, um, like Kentucky and Tennessee, Alabama. Um, Florida, but uh, my family is based out of Syracuse. So, like, my mother and father were born there. Their 
parents were born there. So, um, so um, I would say like a majority of my life, I was lived in Syracuse. A majority of my life, I lived in Alabama and pretty much for the last 20 years, I've been in uh, South Florida now. So, so, but like, as far as like, I guess, musical influences and like coming up in like music, was that, would that be in Syracuse or were you like already getting interested? Like, in Alabama? no. Um, so I guess, uh, my parents would always play records a lot when I was really young, um, you know, like Dire Straits and Molly Hatchet and uh, Van Halen and stuff like that. And um, they would be playing music all the time, but it, it never really, it didn't really set with me um, for quite a bit until like I actually started like um, getting to like break dancing, if you uh, <laughs> kind of believe it. I kind of started off more listening to rap music and hip hop before I got into like rock and roll or punk rock or anything like that it's funny like on my 10th birthday you know i got like quiet riots mental health vinyl and michael jackson thriller and you know um i had some money and i went to go purchase my first cassette and i chose between duran duran or the beat street volume one soundtrack and uh so i took uh, beat street and um yeah it was something about like rap music back then the way you know like especially like rap music that wasn't so like poppy, but more like heavy beats that really like um, intrigued me a lot. Um, and that kind of stuck with me for a long time. And then um, in Alabama, uh, I got into skateboarding and I feel like that's kind of like the pathway to a lot of people getting introduced to like punk rock and hardcore and metal and things like that. So that was definitely my gateway um the people that i started skateboarding with you know they were already listening to like the misfits dead kennedy subhumans minor threat and uh you know they're like oh check this stuff out you know and you know like it was really cool to me like it was very appealing but it, it didn't register as something like i was going to be like this punk rock kid or hardcore kid it was just like another genre of music that i found interesting you know so <clears throat> Through like Thrasher magazine and my friends, I started discovering more music. Um, you know, Thrasher is really um, influential back then on me, like reading the interviews with like, you know, about like bad brains or getting like the SST demo that had like Dinosaur Jr., bad brains, early Soundgarden, um, things like that on it. And, you know, again, it just kind of like blossomed and, um, then I found myself, you know, really kind of looking for that kind of stuff. And, and keep in mind in Alabama, that it, it's a very, you know, there's no scene or anything like that. Like you kind of <clears throat> you kind of had to like either go through Thrasher, ask your friends, or like you took risks at the record store. And one of the risks I took, I found um, Sick of It All, you know, and dudes are just moshing on the cover. And I was just like, this has to be awesome. Like, Still no idea really about New York City hardcore or anything like that, but I was just like, this has to be like pretty awesome. So I got that tape and um, no blood, sweat and tears. And I was just like, man, this is this is cool. You know, um, then around my junior year of high school in Alabama, we had moved back up to Syracuse area and um, I had met some skateboard friends and they were already going to shows at this point. And this is probably around 1990. And uh, they're like, hey, uh, we're going to this Sunday matinee. You should come check it out. And I was like, sure, whatever, you know. And uh, it was going to be Turning Point, Yuppie Side, 
uh, Edgewise and Big Mistake. Unfortunately, I don't think Turning Point made it for that show. But I just remember feeling like, wow, this is incredible. Like, you know, like just the energy and the vibe of it. And like, you know, my friends were just like, if you see someone fall down, you pick them up. And if someone stage dives, you catch them. And, you know, it's just a very positive thing. Like if you actually get hit, don't feel like it's an attack on you. You know, like it's just, you know, people are moshing or whatever. So I don't know. It was something that was very compelling to me. And I was just like, wow, this is awesome. And then it kind of snowballed, you know, to going to more shows, but I didn't really, it wasn't really so much like hardcore kids. I was hanging out. I was still hanging out with skateboard kids that were going to hardcore shows. So I wasn't really like getting involved in the scene too much other than just going to shows. Um, but I'd say like, you know, the amount of shows that were being put on in the early nineties, especially in Syracuse and, from you know like dj rose putting them on or john mckeg like i got to see some pretty epic shows you know and very thankful that they were able to like bring these tours and bands to syracuse um to the lost horizon you know because it you know it's very impactful for me so um yeah man like that's kind of like my pathway to hardcore if you if you before I ask a couple of questions about the Syracuse scene during those years, sure. uh, as somebody who, who well, I'm, I'm significantly younger, I guess I grew I was born in 81, but um, mm -hmm. like I grew up on a lot of rap music too, though. So I'm curious, like, I know you said you grew up in kind of like a small town, but like, did you catch any like early like rap tours or concerts like before you moved back to Syracuse? No, I did. No, no. like no. Um, really like, again, where I lived in Alabama, um, just first of all, just being a skateboarder, like you're just, outcasted you know like no one wanted to deal with you and you're just like even though you didn't consider yourself a punk or whatever like you were a punk you know to everyone else um and i i honestly i wouldn't even know where to go to see those kind of performances um and in those days like for sure like you know run dmc or nwa or the doc or Boogie Down Productions or Public Enemy, they weren't coming to where I lived in Alabama. You know what I mean? So, I mean, the closest thing that we had um, where I lived was like the Rat Poison tour. Um, and this is like 87 or something like that. But like, that would be like the biggest thing, you know, that would happen in that area. So I wasn't really into that like poppy rap stuff or hip hop, you know, I was more into like Public Enemy and, and NWA and like the harder stuff, you know what I mean? So like, I think that's what kind of gears me towards like my musical taste as far as like hardcore and metal and stuff like the heavier stuff was more appealing to me, so. Yeah, no, I totally vibe on that too. Um, So like you were saying, it was like early nineties, you were kind of getting into the Syracuse scene. Like what were the local bands then? Like Earth Crisis came around like, like a year or two later, right? Or were they already kind of- falling? Yeah. Um so when i first started going to the shows the local bands were probably like um framework was kind of starting to get established a little bit um forefront which became infusion which later became blood rose black um they were kind of like one of the bands that i was really really into because they had that metallic hardcore sound that i really enjoyed um also in the early mids were probably like um solstice solstice was a band um uh that really was kind of like 
uh, a friend's band. Like, so uh, Dave Majeski, the singer in the band, was also a um, skateboarder. So, like, he was kind of like my bridge, you know? Like, he's like my skateboard friend that was also in a hardcore band. So he was kind of like my connection to there. Um, and then, you know, again, like Earth Crisis, shortly after Framework, when they were kind of like figuring out what that was going to be, um, those were kind of like the big local bands. I mean, there's also Uprising, which later became like Green Rage, um, just to name a few, you know. So, um, again, like you could kind of see kind of where the scene was going at that point. Um and I think obviously a lot of it has to do with, you know, the success of Earth Crisis and then that sound that they kind of molded um, kind of had an impact on the bands around them, right? So like they were heavy and other bands were starting to get heavy and like their influences, you know, were kind of making them heavy as well. So um, so those were kind of my introduction local band wise back in those early mid nineties kind of era. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, when a band like into another came to town which would be incredible or super touch or you know shelter 108 like it was just the, the list goes on and on and on and on and you know those shows were incredible and like their bills were really great like mckay had this really good sense of like mixing up the bills um you know so like you weren't just stuck with just like a bunch of hardcore bands or a bunch of metal bands or metalcore bands even though metalcore is like a weird term for hardcore you know what i mean like I, I feel like that kind of pigeonholes bands a little bit but uh yeah i mean it, it was just incredible like you you could see like a band like ashes on the same show as like bloodlet or damnation or something you know what i mean so like you just had this wide spectrum of like different sounding bands and i think like it really opened up a lot of people's ears to different types of music you know so um yeah, it was incredible. I mean, like, uh, again, like, it, it was a life-changing thing for me. Like, I, I still listen to hardcore bands, and I still listen to those old bands, and, like, I'm almost 50, you know what I mean? So, like, if something sticks with you for that long, like, it, you can't deny its impact on you, you know, so... That's one hundred percent the reason why I started doing this podcast. I mean, now like you and I were talking beforehand the podcast about having kids. Like, I want my son to mm -hmm. kind of have a way to, you know, know all these stories and stuff. And if he has the time and interest to listen to any of this stuff, you know. But sure. Um, what I'm thinking about though, before we start jumping into your bands, I mean, you were kind of mm -hmm. saying like hardcore rap and stuff, but like all the bands like that you were in, like that will as we'll get to, are all like pretty heavy and like definitely on like the more like metalcore yeah. aspect. Like, well, like you know, like not modern metalcore, but like like 90s mm -hmm. type metalcore you know but like sure. was there an influence already for you like before you started playing and blood runs back so that kind of stuff you know what yeah I mean? yeah for sure i mean like um it's funny uh my friend that kind of took me to my first show he made me this compilation um of a bunch of different seven inches that he had and you know it had like ether today and bold and course of disapproval and um all the stuff on it but the one band that stuck out for me was quicksand and that quicksand seven inch and i felt like that struck a chord in me more so than like a youth of today or a gorilla biscuits or anything like that like that sound what they were doing that was the one that really resonated with me so i feel like that really had an influence of like 
I don't want to say like my guitar playing per se, but like what I wanted to listen to, you know? So that kind of was like anything with that kind of like metallic edge to it. Like that's what I was kind of geared towards. So. And then like you said, I guess, kind of jumping into the bands, like Blood Runs Black had kind of like a revolving door of people. Yeah. Obviously, like I said, I never saw them live because like I was kind of getting more into the scene like 96, 97. And Mm -hmm. um, like what years did you play with those guys, though? It's funny. Uh, When Chris left the band to start to join Earth Crisis, um, they had this other guy, Floyd, that played guitar on it. And um, I was always hanging out with the band um, when they go to rehearsals and just being friends with those guys. And then that guy just decided not to be in the band anymore. And those guys are just like, oh, yeah, you like you play guitar, right? And like, I play guitar, but like not like anywhere close to like being as good to be in their band at that point. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I play guitar. (laughs) And I remember like they were trying like me out and they're trying Brian Azado Slider, who went on to be in God Blow and Brand New Sin. And uh, yeah, they, they ended up. I ended up being in the band for, you know, and I knew Slider was like a way better player than I was. And I was just like, okay, cool. Like, but I was really nervous and we had rehearsed for like a long time, but nothing was really happening. Uh, it was like a really slow time for the band. Um, so <clears throat> I kind of was just like not feeling it. Like I was just like, oh yeah, this is cool. But like, I don't want to just practice or whatever. So then Slider got in the band after that and he actually, they actually did some stuff and they recorded a song yourself lodge. That's a random song. I don't, it was came out on a compilation, but I'm not sure what that compilation is. And they played some shows and then Corey, the drummer left and um, it kind the band kind of like fizzled out a little bit. Cause Corey was like the main driver of the band. Like, making sure the band practices, got shows, et cetera, et cetera. But he kind of, once he left, it kind of, no one wanted to take that rain. So Slider left and then uh, we kind of got together and I started jamming with them again. And this is probably 96. And then, yeah, we played some shows and we played the New Year's Day show with Path Resistance in 97, I think. And then we played the next New Year's Day show um, with a bunch of bands too, like Brothers Keeper and Harvest and things like that. So those the that Path Resistance show is pretty memorable. I mean, their first show ever, and it was just a madhouse, you know. So yeah, yeah those were the two flyers. Those are the, I told you beforehand that I had found some uh, flyers, and those were the two that I found with your your Blood Runs Black on. I was like, oh yeah. shit, I don't want to ask about these two because yeah, I, I I for some reason. Uh, I don't think I had a ride to the 97 one. So I went to the, there was like a New Year's Eve show in Buffalo the day before with some of those, I think some of the same bands. And then mm-hmm. uh, I saw the, the next year is memorable too, because it was like the Spares last tour. Cause yep. they played their very last show in Buffalo the next day. Cause I was at that, but the path of resistance that had to have been just like you were saying, that had to have been crazy though. Cause that was like, it, like first time I was as nervous as shit. There's like 700 kids in this place. And like, you know, like, I was like, holy shit, man, this is the most I've ever played in front of. And then like the vibe was super awesome though. Like kids really enjoyed it. And like, then obviously when Path played, it was just chaos, you know, in in such a cool way, in such a positive, cool way, you know, and like 
yeah, that was a very memorable show. And, you know, I know a lot of people still talk about that show a lot and, um, and for, for the right reasons, like it was, it was incredible. So, yeah. And what's that dude's name? Who's saying he's saying for blood runs black and Gavolo, right? Dan, is that his name? Yeah, Dan Johnson. Yeah. yeah he, Cause he's got some real, a real original, like, like vocal style too. Like I, I love that Gabolo LP. And then when I was prepping for this interview, going back, I was mm-hmm. like on that EP with you guys, I feel like it's probably when he really found that. Cause it, it sounds like, you know, very yeah. similar vocal style there. So early, so his early bands like forefront and infusion, he had a kind of different style, but you could see where he was kind of going that direction. Like I, I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like, but I actually live with them for quite a long time. So I kind of know, but uh, you know, Bloodlet and Starkweather are bands that were big influences for him. And I feel like that style, that strainy kind of style was the kind of direction that he wanted to go into. And I feel like those bands really opened up for him that, that style and direction. So. So then how long, how much longer did the blur on the back? Do you play the rest of the course <laughs> uh, at that point or did it, was it still a revolving door? I guess. I would, no, like pretty much after that, I, I want to say either that 98 New Year's Day show or maybe there's one more show after it. We kind of called it quits. Like uh, I, it was just, you know, we had at the end, there was a different bass player, a different drummer. Um, Mark, the guitar player and Danny were like the only two original guys left in the band, you know? So he kind of ran his course and I feel like Danny really wanted to start doing something a little, I'll, I'll actually a lot different, he, you know, like he is very influenced by like sunny day real estate and things like that at that point. So he kind of wanted to like, not even saying he just wanted to play guitar and like a kind of like an indie band like that. So he, you know, he was kind of like over it. Um, so yeah, after that, uh, Butters Black disbanded and I was just kind of like hanging out uh you know obviously still going to shows um i was becoming friends like uh tight friends with the guys from another victim um things like that and we were hanging out a lot and i remember going to see herman de at the westcott play a show and they were only a four piece <clears throat> and uh, as we were watching them i was asking busky who was in a, another victim at the time I was like, do you think this is pretty hard? Like, do you think this is like pretty hard to learn? And he's like, yeah, probably. And because it's a totally different style, you know, that was like kind of in that like cave in beyond hypothermia kind of style, um, kind of chaotic or whatnot. And uh, and I'm not sure how it came up, but uh, I feel like maybe I asked those guys like, hey, do you want another guitar player in your band? Cause I was kind of, I was blown away. I was like, man, these guys are pretty awesome. Like uh, I was kind of digging that style. And I feel like at that point too, I was kind of getting into that kind of style of like metallic hardcore, like chaotic and stuff. So I met up with Travis, the guitar player, and I started learning the songs and um, they're kind of like, yeah, drum band, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was really crazy. I feel like, you know, we, like I learned the songs and then, we went to play a show in Pittsburgh with like Creationist Crucifixion and some other bands. And like, uh, uh, dude, I don't even know if I really knew the songs that well. So like, but it's like chaotic course. So you can kind of just like ring out and run around or do whatever. And it, kids are like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, that, that band is really cool. Like it was totally different than what was black. Um, there's definitely like more 
different kind of chord progressions and there's actually some melody to it and singing and um so it's kind of like a different avenue which you know i felt helped me a lot like with my guitar playing and just like broadening my music horizons per se and uh but that that band was very explosive it was a very chaotic situation at all times getting in the van that they owned the thing was like a death trap <laughs> um for some reason like the steering system of it a terrible car um, terminology uh you'd be driving straight and the it would just swerve it would just cut over like you're like what the like you have to overcorrect and dude this is like going down the highway and like it was so unsafe it was terrifying to be honest with you but um yeah, I mean, it was very cool. Uh, those, at that point, those guys had already recorded a couple things. They had recorded an EP um, on, damn, what was that label? Um, Temperance Records. And then they did two songs for the Syracuse Comp um, that uh, Watermark Records put out, I believe. And um, so they are already somewhat established um, when I got in the band. And... Uh, yeah, we, you know, we ended up playing a bunch of cool shows. Uh, we recorded two songs for the Hex 7, Comp 7 Inch, which I believe is his first release. And that was a really fun experience, a very cool experience. And um, yeah, um, but then again, it was like one of those things where like revolving members, you know, and, and it just never really got stable um, and nothing really panned out after that. Um, just kind of show you what, how the band kind of ended for for uh in a way was we had did this like mini week tour with brothers keeper and the last show we did was in massachusetts they weren't on it but it was like caven's hometown or whatever and we had played the show and like um this is when keith uh keith and hell was in the band he's playing bass and uh he uh he's like oh, i want to go home and we're like oh let's we're, we want to stay for a cave-in and apparently this has happened outside like he took the keys he got in the van he started it up travis was like trying to get in the van he like gassed it and reversed like almost like ran over travis to the door stopped travis got in punched him in the face took the keys from him and then we left that night <clears throat> We're on the turnpike home. Apparently, Keith, I don't know if he dozed off or whatever, but I guess like he almost like hit a tow truck. That tow truck called a state trooper on the radio. We get pulled over. And I remember like waking up like, oh, what's going on? Like, oh, we got pulled over. Apparently, Keith's um, license was suspended. So they're like, yeah, we have to like take him in. <laughs> And this is like a Friday night or something like that, something weird. And they're just like, yeah, so he's not going to see a judge until like uh, after the weekend or whatever. And they're like, so do you, do you guys want to like post bail or whatever? And we're like, no, we're going to go home. So like we totally left Keith in like this weird town in upstate New York. <laughs> and that was it for Keith in the van, you know? But that was kind of just like the way that band worked, you know what I mean? So is definitely a weird weird uh, experience but it's cool it's cool for me like you know like I, I feel like you you can't like look back at those experiences as like negative experiences unless you know like something really tragic happened but like 
it's just part of like my path, you know. So did you guys play any like like Hellfest or like any other fest or anything? No, that band, unfortunately, like it, you know, um Keith had already I don't Keith see this is I think Hellfest was like after the like Keith was out of that band and that's when he started doing like the Hellfest. Like I believe Hellfest 99 was at the Lost Horizon. That was like his first one, if I remember correctly. And he had already been out of that band at that point. <clears throat> um so I could other no, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so no, nothing like that. Um, but we did get to play some killer shows. Like I said, we we did like a cool week with Brothers Keeper. You know, we got to play with Disembodied. We got to play with Caven you know, a couple times. Um, so again, um, it you know it was an interesting experience. And I know you and Travis went on to Darker Day tomorrow later together. Was yeah. Was there Correct. like a, was did, did you guys stay in Herman DeKalb till the end or was or were you already kind of out of the band by then? Uh, well, Herman DeKalb was kind of faded out. It kind of just fizzled out. It was kind of like we played a show and then it kind of just okay, that, like we'll see you guys later or whatever, you know. And actually, uh, Darker Day didn't really start for a little while after that. Um, at that point, I uh, um another victim had broken up or were finished and actually me busky and tony turnabin who was in another victim and then darker day we actually started jamming first we're coming you know we were coming up with things but it, you know it wasn't really panning out and then busky heard what um jonathan jd and Corey were doing for they when they started santa sangre and mike um so he's kind of like yeah i think i'm gonna do that you know and, and it makes total sense you know um they were already on to some great stuff. JD's a uh, legendary songwriter, so guitar player. And so, like, yeah, he was like, I'm going to go do that, which was totally cool. So then, um, yeah, we, me and Tony started talking to Travis, you know, and I was like, yeah, Travis is a fantastic guitar player. Like, we should start playing with him. And then, um, so we started jamming. Um, and I'm not sure if Andy Williams came on board right away. No, he didn't. Um, I apologize. Uh, we actually, Jeremy Johnson, who recorded on the first Darker Day EP, who used, who was also on another victim for a minute. Um, he started playing with us um, first and then we tried out some vocalists and, you know, we tried out Hex and Craig, um, maybe a couple of the others and, um, we went with Craig and because Craig, you know, he had that unique style where he could like sing and scream, you know, and I think we were kind of trying to look at that because a lot of bands that were starting to come up were kind of in that vein, you know, like, um, like the first kill switch engage demo came out around this point And we're just like, man, that is incredible. And like that guy can sing and scream. Like we should maybe think about that kind of direction. Um, so uh yeah so we wrote some songs we recorded an ep for alone records and um yeah it was awesome it was very cool um cool experience uh we started playing some shows um you know it didn't really it didn't really pick up that fast you know um you know and this was at a time too where like 
a lot of new bands would be like ex-members of this and that and like it could kind of spark something for them you know but it didn't really it didn't really do that for darker day which is fine you know what i mean like i'd rather people discover darker day tomorrow on their own and get stoked on it rather than like uh this guy used to be in this band so on and so forth um yeah we had played for a while and then um jeremy johnson just wasn't um into it so much anymore so then uh travis is like oh andy williams you know so that's how we got andy in the band and uh once we got andy in the band like things started you know really rolling as far as songwriting goes and just like the style of the band and um we started playing a lot of shows um you know and we got a lot of uh connections um that's kind of like how one of the connections of for kill switch engage and myself that we'll talk about later on um was when i was with darker day tomorrow we had played some shows together um and it's so funny to think that like you know uh just for an example as a funny story or whatever um we had booked me and tony had booked a show at the westcott uh, with darker day tomorrow kill switch engage and thick as thick as these from erie pennsylvania and uh is probably the bands and maybe 10 people paid and to think kill switch engage playing to like 20 people at the westcott now you know what i mean like just the size that they are like it's it's pretty funny it's like a funny thing but like um yeah we again we played some shows we never really toured per se you know we can play weekends here and there and then right before the red star records album uh, it was all written and stuff uh right before going to recording like i kind of like mentally checked out like uh, i don't know if like, it was just like anxiety or something going on but like i was just like guys i i, I can't do that like i just can't like i can't do it like it was just kind of like they're kind of just like what like they didn't understand but like mentally like i just couldn't do it and uh so they went ahead and they they recorded the the full length for uh, red star records and um, i was just like and they came back and i was just like yeah i don't like i can't do this like i couldn't do it like it was really bizarre like it was like one of these like mental like i just couldn't do it you know um so they kept playing and then mike lazor who was singing and guitar playing for santa sangre at the time he left Santa Sangre and joined Darker Day Tomorrow. They went on and did some pretty awesome things. You know, they did, uh, uh, they made an incredible EP on Good Life Records and uh, they played some really great shows and stuff like that. So they were, you know, I felt bad for kind of leaving them high and dry, but, uh, you know, knowing that Mike got in the band, like it felt okay. Like I know they were going to be okay. Um, so yeah, again, I wasn't in a band for a while. Um, I was just kind of trying to figure out what's going on with my mind mentally. Um, and then I found a good place and uh, <clears throat> I was hanging out downtown Syracuse one day and I saw JD and uh, he's like, hey man, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I like, oh, nothing, you know, he's like, what do you think about playing guitar for Santa Sangre? And I was like, yeah, that could be cool. Um, I, you know, at that point I wasn't sure if I was ready, but 
I decided to just jump in feet first and uh, I started learning the songs. It was pretty awesome, man. You know what I mean? It, it, it was a definitely different feel than Darker Day Tomorrow. Again, like I said, JD is an incredible songwriter. And, you know, I, I was really hyped. Um, obviously, I had heard their demos and stuff before. So I knew what their songs sound like, but like to actually play them was really, it was really awesome. So, and the vibe was really cool. And it just seemed like, you know, like things are starting to really start rolling with that band. Did you play on the eulogy? The eulogy? Uh, so the, the eulogy release. Yeah. So yeah. that was like, I got in the band December of 2000. And then that record was in recorded in March of 2001. So like basically learned the songs. My first show with the band was New Year's Day 2001. And then, uh, <clears throat> yeah we went on from there so um but again like as far as like signing to eulogy like sign the contract or whatever i want to say that maybe the band had a relationship with john wiley previous because i know another victim in morning again did some shows together they did like an east coast tour at some point so maybe that's how the relationship started also um i know Alan Landsman, who was in Poison the Well until the end, he worked for Eulogy, and I think they had an agreement at Eulogy, like working there. Like, if there's a demo that you got and you want to submit to release, um, that they probably would. And I'm pretty sure he got the Santa Sangre demo, and he's like, "Hey, check this out," and they're pretty hyped on it. Um, so again. Um, yeah, uh, things started going pretty quickly at that point. You know, like a lot of shows started happening. Um, the record, um, then we played New England Metal Fest, Metal Hardcore Festival. Um, we're playing out, outside of Syracuse a lot. You know, we're playing like Erie and Buffalo and, you know, um, Chicago and Louisville and stuff like that, you know. Um, so you could kind of start feeling like maybe this is potentially a career opportunity. Um, again, this is pre that metalcore bubble that happened in like 2002, 2003, you know, but you could sense it. Like a lot of bands like were getting uh, booking agents, that, like getting them like decent tours and, um, you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with Hatebreed. I I, I want to say Hatebreed was that band that really was the ones that opened that door for for these for all these other bands. You know what I mean? Like they signed to a big label. They tore their asses off. They you know Jamie's on Headbangers Ball. They were also the flagship. Like they would like do these huge tours, but then they also still you know, do these hardcore tours or they would like bring their friends bands out on their tour once they got huge and stuff like that. Like they kind of show that it was possible that you could do this for a living. You could do it for a career. And like, I, I, you know, I don't, I know people know Hatebreed and they love Hatebreed. And I, I feel like they kind of don't get the recognition they deserve for that particularly. Like, I feel like Hatebreed really helped out that whole thing you know so 
I've, I've talked about that, especially in the beginning of the podcast, because like I had Mike Jeffers, who, who some of his bands were on Stillborn. And, mm-hmm. and even going back to that, like with his label and so many other things he did, I think he definitely was like, you know, very important to, like you're saying, exposing a lot of people to hardcore through especially Hatebreed and the label. And, and he even booked all those shows in Connecticut, too. And mm-hmm. like I even had like small bands on my label, like one from Syracuse saving throw. Um, mm-hmm. I was getting ready to do a tour for them and, and Jamie and I legit traded shows in like 2003. Like he got them on a yeah. show in Erie. Like he would still do yeah. shit back then. Like get like small hardcore bands on shows. If you helped out like, uh, like dead wrong or fucking, I can't remember the band. That yeah, was on. That's it was full blown chaos. It. it was full blown chaos. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. it was like, if you do a show for them, I'll get you a, sh- I'll get you on a hate show with saving. You know what I mean? I was like, that's yeah. so crazy to, for him to offer a trade like that. You know what I mean? Like, but that's that incredible. Of, right. Like yeah. that's the kind, like that's the stuff that like that's hardcore you know what i mean like that's what it that's what it is like so again yeah i feel like at that point um hey breeders really doing things to help all the other bands at that point try to get through that 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 door you know to have a music career um so um yeah so the record comes out uh we do some we do a east coast tour with every time i die and kill switch engage um which you think it, you know today would be well today would be huge but like back then again there's there's shows where like i remember every time i die in like south carolina inviting like the eight people that paid to like come on the stage while they played you know what i mean like yeah it was it was a, it was a struggle man you know what i mean um but it, it was just something that like you love music, you love doing it. So it, it didn't matter and it was an adventure, but you know, at the same time, you're just like, man, like if we want to do this for a career, we gotta like, we gotta grind, you know? Um, and then we did Midwest and West coast with Scott King falling in the hoods. Um, and that was incredible. Uh, California was just insane. You know, um, it, it, it's, it's really cool to see how far your band or music makes it and to see like kids being so stoked on it and super hyped on it, you know, and, um, California was just incredible. And, um, we were very lucky to play the shows that we did out there. And, um, on that tour, however, on that tour, when we left California, heading to Arizona, uh, we did this overnight drive. And in the morning, we check into a hotel. <clears throat> and Busky comes back out with the keys. He's like, hey, guys, I think we're going to war. This was the morning of September 11th. So we're all the way in Arizona, so far from home. The World Trade, the World Trade Center towers are coming down. like." our family and friends in New York, like, we don't know what to do. Like, could this be like a war? Like, are we, you know, like we're so far from home, we're freaking out. You know what I mean? Um, so that was a really gnar- gnarly experience. Um, we're just calling home as much as we can to see what's going on. Uh, we're debating like, do we keep going? Do we go home right now? Uh, yeah, this is pretty intense. We actually ended up playing a show that night. Um, I have 
Well, tell me about the show, but I have I have a yeah. million questions about that that tour. Sure. You mentioned a band that I I have to ask a few questions before we move sure, on. Sure, sure, sure. A second. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so we we played a show and it was really surreal. Um, it was almost like you don't you're like playing, but you don't really remember. You're kind of like blacked out to it because of the day's events. And then it was really cool because people would come up and like be like, you know, like thank you for playing because it took my mind off what was going on today for a little bit, you know? And uh, we would just be like the same for us though. You know what I mean? Like there's just like this mutual like understanding of what was going on. And um, yeah, it was, it was eerie. It was very eerie. It's a weird situation. It was just, especially just being that far from home, you know? So, yeah. but um, go ahead. The, um, I imagine nowadays, they probably wouldn't even let a show happen that night. They probably, because of all the other terrorism and stuff that's happened in the last 20 years, mm -hmm. they probably would just like say, we're not having a show tonight. But my question about, were you still on tour with Sky Came Falling in the Hoods on 9-11? Uh, Sky Came Falling, they had, <clears throat> California was like their last day with us, but the Hoods were with us. So, so when 9-11 happened, you were with Mikey Hood pretty much then? or Oh, no, no. I mean, we're oh. at different hotels. We're at different hotels. Are there any crazy hood <clears throat> stories or funny anecdotes um, from with them? Uh, dude, I love those guys. I love <laughs> those guys. At least the lineup that we toured with. The funniest thing. Okay, so the very first night we met up with them was in Sacramento, which is their home, um, home, home city, home state, hometown. Sorry. And uh, we played the show. It was awesome. Uh, I was outside and i saw the singer and i was like hey dude what's up like when it, you're like what's up and he looked at me and i think he is drunk already at that point and he when i said what's up i think he was like what's up like he wanted to fight me like and mikey was like oh no dude he's he's touring with us we're on tour together he's like oh my bad like it was just like he's about ready to roll me and i was like oh fuck here we go like but uh no, yeah, dude. Honestly, those guys were—they're sweethearts, man. Like, they—they they just grind and play shows, and like, you know, they—they they have their ways on how they conduct their business, and um, and but but for, I, honestly, again, they're 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 awesome. They're super nice. Uh, there's never issues. There's never like concerns about anything you know um there's no fights nothing like that um yeah no it, they're very accommodating we actually stayed at mikey hood's house for a couple days while we we're there like barbecued took us to some great restaurants and stuff and like super accommodating and like yeah i mean they're awesome it was really cool like especially for you know um not really knowing those guys you know what i mean and like not knowing what to expect, you know, like, sure. You, you've heard stories, but like, you know, like, I don't know. I think that happens with a lot of bands. Um, you hear the stories and then when you meet them, you're kind of like, I didn't, you know what I mean? Like I didn't see it or whatever. So yeah. yeah he seems pretty funny just from like hearing interviews and stuff that I've heard him do and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that guy, that guy, man, like, you know, again, like he's one of those guys, Mikey hood. He's one of those guys that like, He's done so much for the scene, and, you know, like, especially like 
not just Sacramento, just like even in California, like he hooks up so many bands. He, you know, he's very hospitable. Like he networks a lot, tries to help out a lot of bands. You know what I mean? So like he's true guy, you know what I mean? Like his heart is in it for the right thing. And so like, again, like I would, you know, nothing but great things about that guy. So and like I was saying at the beginning, beginning of the interview, all like all your bands are pretty heavy. But like one thing, mm-hmm. like I've been saying in the interviews, I've, I've kind of tried to go back and listen to the catalog of the people I'm interviewing. And I was listening sure. to Santa Sangre tonight, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been listening to this shit as much back then. But I'm more familiar with it now. Like, were you guys fucking with like a lot of southern rock and shit? Like when you're getting ready to record the the eulogy um, stuff? Well, I mean, there's there's definitely two songs that had that vibe. I mean, I mean, Black Sabbath was definitely influenced, you know, especially with like the down tuning and the bending of notes and certain certain riffs and stuff like that um and then you know later on after that when we're kind of writing new stuff that never really panned out it kind of had a vibe of like southerny pantera a little bit like but still like santa sangre you know what i mean um especially you know kevin was gonna try to do something a little different with his vocals you know a little more like enunciated scream you know kind of like pantera but um it just never panned out you know um so we kind of did we didn't do we kind of did a few more shows after september 11th and then we just kind of decided like hey let's just go home at this point um just because like again there's a lot of uncertainty and it just we kind of were just kind of burnt at that point you know what i mean we like we just kind of fried with what's going on in the world so we went home um and then um we kind of just didn't do anything for a month or so and then kind of rehearsed a little bit and then we played a show with throwdown at armory high um and then after that i went down to florida because i was seeing a girl at the time that i had met while the recording of the record and um yeah i guess um for me personally uh i was kind of (laughs) more i kind of was like i don't know like we kind of hit hit this stall point where like i was just like are we not doing anything right now or what's going on like we obviously we want to do this as our career and it kind of just stalled and so i i kind of shifted my gears to like well maybe i want to like live in florida <laughs> and uh you know move to florida and be with my girl because when we were down there for recording like i kind of fell in love with south florida like i already had a bunch of friends down there and I was over Syracuse winters and I was just needed a a new thing. I needed to be somewhere new. Um, So I went down there and I was kind of just like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do the band anymore. Um, And they were really pissed. (laughs) They're super pissed at me. And, you know, rightfully so, like, because, you know, all we needed to do is do another, you know, get onto another tour and it'd be, back to business as usual but um yeah i i left the band and uh that's happened with me for a long time like years and years and years like i mean 
up until like a few years ago, like uh, I apologized to Busky. I was just like, Hey man, like, cause he's like my closest person in the band. Like we lived together and stuff at that point. And uh, I was just like, Hey man, like, I'm really sorry. You know what I mean? Like, cause it, I feel like the band really had potential to break through, you know what I mean? Like, especially like seeing what like unearth and, and um, bleeding through and throw down. And every time I die, bands like that, like our, our colleagues in this, in the scene, you know, like they started to get like pretty successful, you know, and like, I feel like we were on that cusp, you know, and I feel like if I didn't quit, maybe it could have happened, you know? Um, and then as far as I know, after I left the band, maybe I think they played maybe one more show as a four piece and they were just like, yeah, this, this isn't it, you know? And I'm, I'm not sure if the promise was already a plan at that point or if that came like right after that. So, so that was it for me and Santa Sangre. And then they kind of just like broke up and then they did the promise, which turned out to be pretty incredible you know what i mean so um you know i guess you have to kind of see how things go you know and see what paths people get on and you know i'm happy for i'm happy that they were able to do something very successful and pretty awesome like that so so that was that's it for santa sangre what was what was the studio in florida because that's a pretty that's a pretty solid sound recording (laughs) uh studio 13 so if you saw studio 13 you'd probably be like where the hell are we dude um it's like in this like super in like dirty industrial area there's literally a railroad track behind it so like every once in a while trains go by um jeremy stoska who engineered and produced the record of the record he uh he is also a uh he also sold uh weed on the side like a side business so like during the sessions you just have like random people coming in buying weed and stuff i mean whatever dude i, I, I <laughs> he's make if that's how he makes his money and he's you know what i mean like in recording and he's doing a good job recording like whatever you know like but uh yeah that studio is pretty famous down here you know um unfortunately it's not around anymore but like you know poison the well opposite december tear from the red um so many eulogy recordings, you know, um, just malevolent creation, just like, you, you know, so many bands recorded there and, um, it's really a, it's a, it's a magical place for South Florida and, um, Jeremy Stoska, like, you know, he, he is an awesome dude. You know what I mean? Like he really put his heart and soul into everything he records and he has a great ear for that. So, um, yeah, so that's Studio 13, man. Um, again, uh, it's a shithole, but it's a magical shithole. So. And Poison the Well is another one of those bands from that era. Like you talk about Hatebreed and Jamie Jasta opening the door for people. Like I've talked on here before about just how influential that that, that Opposite of December record is. You know what I mean? Oh, just dude. Fans and a whole generation. Let me tell you. People. Let me tell you. So in 2007, I was fortunate enough to fill in on bass for Poison the Well for two tours. And even in 2007, when we played when we played Nerdy, like I'm just a feeling guy, like I just learned the song, but like just the kids going insane ape shit, you know what I mean? Like it was pretty crazy, dude. Like it, like I was like, wow, dude, that's awesome, you know? Uh, 
and again like those guys too exactly what you said like very influential you know like think of all the bands that came after that that's was into that in that vein you know what i mean that they kind of held the gold standard and um you know incredible band incredible musicians um awesome dudes so um yeah that was a that was very awesome that was, that was a very cool experience for me um to be able to play those songs with those guys for a few tours and stuff like that so that was really fun did you play like big shows with them or whatever yeah so um we did a sale sale receiving under sirens u.s tour and then we did three quarters of warp tour so yeah that was pretty pretty insane you know yeah. what i mean and even yeah it's crazy because even in again in 2007 like the new warp tour kids were just like what is it you know what i mean like they still had it you know and so it was a cool feeling you know what i mean um but yeah um, what years did you play for all hell breaks loose so i started all hell breaks loose i started playing with them in 2003 so all hell breaks loose is a band from south florida uh kind of made up with a bunch of like guys that were in a bunch of bands like um chip walbert who was destro until the end where fear weapons meets and um adrian rodriguez who was also in forever in a day on and on and on you know like tons you know awesome bands and stuff like that and you know they basically were a style they kind of you know wanted to be like the buried alive of south florida you know what i mean um just totally fun band like really no expectations uh just played shows and had fun um and so when i moved down here you know i was like oh fuck like I want to play in a band, but like at the same time, this is when I was touring with Killswitch Engage like all the time. Like, um, so it was kind of hard to dedicate time to like a serious band or whatever. So this was like the perfect fit. Um, so I was just like, oh, you know what? Like, you should have three guitar players, <laughs> me being the third guitar player. And they're like, yeah, that's an awesome idea. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I joined the band and, uh, it worked out well because whenever I was on tour with Killswitch and they had shows, they still, they could still play shows. And then when I'm home, like we could play shows too, you know? So, um, yeah, no, it was really cool. Um, wrote some songs, recorded an EP, um, and then, uh, recorded some more songs. We did the LP, uh, surprise deck records, um, EMS hooked that up. Um, played a bunch of shows, played, played a bunch of shows, played East coast. Um, you know, we played up in Syracuse, we played CBGBs, uh, played in Connecticut, played all over Florida, uh, played in Georgia. Um, yeah, it was really fun. It was just kind of like, again, uh, those are one of those bands where there, like, there's no expectations. It was just like, Ooh, we're playing a show. Cool. Oh, we're going to record something. Cool. You know, it wasn't like, we have to do this. Like this has to be serious. We need to practice, you know, two times a week, every week or anything like that. So, um, cause you know, again, like I was on with kill switch, those guys were those in other bands, you know, that were a little more serious. So yeah, it was, is a cool little thing to have, you know, um, when I was home from tour. So. And one thing I'm kind of thinking about getting into the kill switch stuff is kind mm -hmm. of jumping back to blood runs black. Like, did you meet those guys back then with like overcast and stuff too? So Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story here, Josh. Um, 
you know, those days when you would get a seven inch and you see an address and you'd be like, oh, let me write to the band and see what happens. So uh, I was in Florida on vacation and my friend had the Overcast seven inch from on Exchange Records, their first seven inch. And he played and I was like, holy shit, this is fucking incredible. Like I was like, I need to like, no more so i wrote to the address in the seven inch Pry fast forward like six months and i come home from work and my mom's like yeah this guy mike from this band overcast called you i guess i put my phone number in there and i was like what and so i call him like hey what's up dude like I wrote you a letter. He's like, I know, man, it's fucking off. Like he was so stoked that I wrote a letter to him and stuff. And he's like, dude, you should come stay with me over the weekend and come to Austin. Well, you know, we got a show and stuff like that. And like, you know, at that point, Overcast, they were only playing like, you know, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. They weren't coming to anywhere to upstate New York at that point. So I was like, fuck yeah, that'd be great. So I went to Boston, <clears throat> like, I'm going to Boston to meet a guy I never met in person before that I only wrote a letter to you and then had a phone call with. But all I cared, he's like in a fucking incredible band. So I didn't care, you know what I mean? And so I met Mike D, who was playing bass for Overcast. And um, yeah, we hung out, it was killer, went to an Overcast practice, went to a show, fucking met the rest of the guys in the band, super awesome. And, uh, we had just stayed in touch, you know, and then like he would always like flow me like the new recordings and like we would stay in touch constantly. And then like I'd always be pushing like McKeg. I was like, oh, there's this band overcast. Like you should try to like get into the lost or whatever. I think he was a little apprehensive at first. I'm not sure. Maybe he, I don't know. Maybe he didn't really know about them or wasn't, maybe it was too metal or something. I don't know. But, uh, and then the dudes from Earth Crisis, they were super high and overcast as well. So they're just kind of like, hey, we're playing this show like Turmoil and Canon, and we want overcast to play. Like, we want, like, telling, basically telling McKay, okay, like, you need to put them on. <laughs> so he did. And uh, I'm pretty sure that was like the first experience for Syracuse to see overcast, and they fucking crushed it. And um, yeah, man. So, long story short that was like my introduction to mike from overcast and then we had just stayed friends um this is like 96 or something since then and um once overcast dissolved he started kill switch engage with adam d and um he's like oh yeah man like you, i got this new band kill switch engage check it out um totally different than overcast obviously um <clears throat> but super awesome and then you know that's how like once kill switch is new and then it's darker day tomorrow we started playing shows together so then i met the rest of the band in kill switch <clears throat> fast forward 2001 we did that summer tour with them they get picked up on roadrunner so things are gonna start to really take off for them um once i left santa sangre kill switch was like hey like do you want to like come roadie with us like we can like pay you and stuff and i was like fuck yeah that'd be awesome you know so 
I started doing that in like 2002. And then, uh, yeah, I was like full on until about 2010, like eight, eight months a year. I was never home. I was always on tour going, you know, so, um, that's kind of how that happened just by writing to an address in a seven inch. That's really funny. I, I actually booked a kill switch show probably early on when you would have been Tekken in the beginning. Cause I booked something you mentioned them touring with every time I die. It wasn't that tour you're talking about though. It was like late 2002. Um, it was like them and I can't remember who else, but it was, it was like right when kill switch had signed a roadrunner. I definitely lost a little bit that night. Cause they like similar to what you're saying. They, they, they just weren't super well known yet. Like we all yeah. kind of knew, you could tell when you were listening to them that there was something there type yep. thing, you know, but not everybody knew about it yet by like 2002, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely times when like, if they were just going to do like a weekend or something like that, and I was already living in South Florida, they weren't going to like fly me up to do like a couple days or whatever. So it might've been one of those occasions or something like that. Um, but yeah, man, like it was, it's, it's kind of insane to see like kill switch play to nobody then years later to be part of that whole be within the whole time where they started playing from like 60 70 thousand people at like download fest or something you know what i mean like and every night it's insane and sold out and blah 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 blah, blah and just you know like all the accolades you know like gold records and this and that like yeah it's pretty it's pretty pretty crazy you know what i mean and uh i was just you know i'm so thankful that they took me with them and you know i'd have so many life experiences that like i'll never forget just being able to travel and see the world and um like you get paid to go to shows basically you know what i mean like um it's insane you know and uh yeah very thankful for those guys for taking me on the ride with them so do you have like a closet full of like european tour laminates or Oh uh, yeah, I have a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I have a whole bunch of stuff. Like I, you know, I got all this weird, like weird Japanese and Euro leases, weird laminates, t-shirts, like tour books with like itineraries, and I still have a lot of that stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, some of it, you know, went yeah, you know, gave away or whatever. You know, like, but um, yeah, I mean, dude, like it's it it's pretty incredible. And, and the fact that like, they're still doing it, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's, it's insane, you know, and it not just doing it, but it's still at the level that they're doing it, you know? So well, when they were playing and you were going with them on all those crazy festivals, did you meet any like really crazy, like bucket list, like celebrity type people? Dude. <laughs> so it's funny. I, I had, ju- I just had this conversation the other day with someone and you know, they're like, Oh, like, yeah, you must've met so many people. And I did, I met a lot of people. And I never, it never, I never got starstruck or whatever, except for one person. And this story is hilarious. <laughs> so <clears throat> uh, Killswitch is playing like this big radio fest in St. Louis. All these bands are on it. And I'm backstage getting stuff set up. And uh, I noticed from the corner of my eye, this guy walked by and it's fucking KG from Tenacious D. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's KG. And he comes by and I'm like, I was like, Hey man, I was like, what's up? And like, I went to like, give him a handshake, but my other arm came to like bro hug. But, and it was, then I paused and he looks at me, he's like, do you want a hug? And I was like, yeah, I want a hug. And we totally hugged backstage. And it was, it was like 
so weird but so cool and like that was probably the only time that i ever like got weird about meeting someone like out of anyone like dude all these like metal dudes that like people be like oh my god you met the like yeah that was like the one dude that was just like wow kg dude so random i don't know why i thought you were gonna say like iced tea or somebody no (laughs) i wish i wish dude nah dude yeah kg from tenacious d man sweet sweet super sweet guy oh yeah i mean yeah so that's the that's the that's the weird part about touring at that different level is like you start meeting some heroes and then they turn out not to be so cool you know what i mean and that's really unfortunate and um and then there's dudes that you're like oh man no way and they're actually awesome you know what i mean like so yeah it's just that's just the way it is you know what i mean and like I don't want to like throw anyone under the bus or want to diss anyone, but yeah, like I've definitely been disappointed a number of times, you know what I mean? And um, I'm sure anyone that is toured on that level that you've talked to or something like that, or worked with bands like that, like they could probably attest to some of those as well. You know, you know, social media has kind of done that to a certain uh, sect of uh, people that I used to look up to within uh, even our community. So I can kind of, see what that would be like in real life with some people you know so mm-hmm. but i mean there... I, I don't want to say disturbed is not cool but they're not cool people <laughs> just that's all that's all i gotta say about that <laughs> um before i guess we start wrapping up the interview is there any other mm-hmm. projects or any other like funny anecdotes or anything that we missed um, along the way no i mean i i could tell you a million kill switch stories and I'm, I'm sure i'm left out a lot of band stories that i've been in and oh you know, i'm sure Oh. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, actually, Sana Sangre. I jump it back yes. to that. Isn't there like a lot of stuff going on with like reissues and stuff lately with that? Okay. Yeah. So we just had a 20th anniversary uh, feast for the new gods this well, last year at this point now. So pre pandemic, we had shot around the idea like, you know, it'd be cool if someone like maybe put out feast for the new gods on vinyl because, you know, vinyl is like the new media that a lot of people love. And, um, like man that'd be really cool and um busky and jd had worked with justin from close casket close casket activities prior because he did another victim discography on cd and we're like oh i wonder if justin would be interested in this so jd just you know gave him a shout out and he's like hey is this something you'd be interested in he's like hell yeah like he was like yeah i'm down and this is it and again that's just that blew all of our minds anyway, just because that guy is so busy and his label is like incredible and so incredibly busy for him just to have time to do something for a band that hasn't been a band in 20 years. You know what I mean? And there's, you know, there's no expectations for us to do anything. And after this anyway, so like for him to be like, yeah, I want to do that. Like, you're like, Oh, this is, this is sick. So we have been talking about for a while. And it was start, the ball started rolling and then COVID happened and then everything just stopped for like two years. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't get anything done. You couldn't get, you know, pressing plants backed up like crazy. Um, It took two, from the idea to like the release was two years, you know, where 
something that's already recorded and the artwork's already done, like it shouldn't take that long. You know what I mean? But it took two years for it to happen, you know? And um, uh, yeah, it just came out uh, a couple months ago. Um, it's Feast for the New Gods. And it's also a discography. It has like the eulogy demo, um, the first demo, the essay mob um, recordings on it. Totally different <clears throat> artwork from the CD. Um, sounds incredible um so happy with the way it turned out and just the amount of um the amount of uh, appreciation and recognition it got like right when it was released and people being super happy about it being on vinyl like we were just we were just floored we were totally blown away like we just really had no idea how it would go because again we hadn't been abandoned 20 years. Like, you know what I mean? And 20 years, like that's a whole generation, a whole generation, you know what I mean? So like we had no idea and um, yeah, it's awesome. It's incredible. And uh, you know, we had spitball the idea of, you know, maybe trying to do a show um, something like that. I know some people are talking to some people about getting us on a show um, but logistically, it's really hard because <clears throat> I'm in Florida. Um, Corey, he's full-time with Slap Shop playing drums. So he's really busy all the time. Um, Busky, you know, he lives in Queens. Um, he's, you know, he's got two kids and a wife. And um, Kevin's a family man. He has kids and a wife. JD's got his uh, record label um, that keeps him super busy. So for us to try to figure out a way to like all get together, relearn the songs, rehearse, and then go on from there, you know, like it would have to be like the perfect, perfect, perfect opportunity, like the perfect storm for it to happen, you know, but again, we wouldn't want to force that on anyone either, you know, so, um, you know, and, and we also talked about like, do we want to be one of those bands that just like come out and play like these songs from 20 years ago? Or would we want to be a band that like got together, maybe wrote some new songs so it's like fresh, something fresh for people, you know what I mean? But the logistics of that is difficult as well, you know what I mean? So um, I don't want to say never. I, I, I don't want to say never, but like right now there's no plans in the future for anything with Santa Sangre at this point. So... Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off from circling back to anything else that no. I was just I was thinking about that from oh no, no, totally. Thank I thank you for for bringing that up. Um, yeah, uh, again, you know, um, I probably have a million stories about Syracuse scene and shows and bands and stuff like that. Um, but again, like the overarching thing is just like that was an you know, I don't want to say you had to be there to really experience it but it definitely was something that was life changing for me personally. You know what I mean? And um, I think a lot of kids today in Syracuse are having probably that same experience. Um, it's super rad to see uh, the Syracuse scene now, like through social media and stuff, like how, you know, how good it is and how like fresh and thriving it is. Um, it makes me really happy. You know what I mean? Like it stokes me out still because even though I'm not a part of it and I've been removed from it for all these years, like 
to still see it thriving is like, you know, it's like, yes, that's awesome. You know, that's hardcore. And, you know, again, I, I really think those kids in that scene now are going to have the same experience when they're my age, you know what I mean? And look back at it. So that's it, dude. Like, uh, you know, um, thank you for talking to me and, you know, shooting the shit and, you know, hopefully, uh, you learned something that you might have not known. Uh, I don't know. Again, I'm not the full in-depth historian um, of the Syracuse hardcore scene and stuff like that. Like, there's definitely some people you should interview that will bend your ear and definitely give you all the insight that you would want. Um, I can just speak on, you know, things that happened to me in my my experiences. So, yeah, I plan to get some more Syracuse people on. Like I said, pro- probably at least one of your ex-bandmates in the near future. For sure. For uh, sure. But yeah, no, I appreciate you taking the time. Is there any other uh, shout outs or closing comments or anything, I guess? No, dude. Um, again, thank you very much for um, considering me for your podcast. I appreciate that. It's very, very awesome. Um, no, man. Uh, shout out to Syracuse Hardcore. Um, you know what I mean? Um, keep it going. That's it, man. That's it, dude. Like, uh, peace out. All right, so I think that's going to wrap up episode 75. I want to thank Tom for doing the interview. Shout out, as always, to Greg Benoit, Rob Antonucci, and Jim Byrne for all the help with the podcast, as well as all the Patreon supporters for helping out. Uh, Give us a follow on social media for episode updates. Uh, Thanks again, everybody, for listening. See everybody real soon, and stay safe.